0: I want to share a story with you uh, this morning and see if you have heard this story before Uh, She was from a small town and he was from a big town Uh, She was from the farm and he was from the city She lived in a small shack, he lived in a mansion She was very poor, he had more than he could ever count Uh, The people she knew were very simple people, the people he knew were world leaders Uh, Her focus was more on the farm and the land, and his focus was on economics. Uh, No one really knew her father. Everyone knew his father. These two opposites met, and he fell madly in love with her, so in love with her that he brought her back to the big city and showed her everything, showed her his His mansion showed her, his riches showed her everything. And she was just in awe, seeing things that she never even would have dreamed of before. It was a a paper plate girl in a world of fine china. And everything was new. He offered all of it to her, extending a proposal of marriage. But there's a problem. Back home in that simple farmland was a man that she loved. A man just like her. Very simple, very common Very poor, but he had her heart. And so there was the challenge, the issue. Will she marry the man of riches and have more than anyone could ever want? Or or will she follow her heart and marry the man that she loves? Do you know the story I'm talking about? You may be thinking, I've seen that movie before somewhere along the way. Most Hallmark movies kind of are based on that. This doesn't come from a movie, though. And it's not really based on a romance novel. We wouldn't describe it that way. Right in the heart of our Bibles is a small book. We probably haven't turned to in these settings in a long time. We're going to the book of Song of Solomon this morning because that's what the book is based off of. Song of Solomon. Make your way. If you just turn to the center of your Bible, you'll find Isaiah. Go back one book, and that's where we're going. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. The Jews considered the Song of Solomon... His greatest literary work. That if Ecclesiastes appeals to the mind, Song of Solomon appeals to the heart. And the Song of Solomon sto- uh, follows the story of this young Shulamite girl who attracts the attention of Solomon. He sees how beautiful she is, and he is smitten with her. And so he brings her back from the simple farmlands to his palace. Everyone knew his dad, everyone knew King David. And he is so in love with her that he offers a proposal of marriage, but she is in love with someone back home. And that is the question. In the midst of Song of Solomon, who will she choose? This rich, powerful king of the greatest empire on the earth Or the simple man back home who has her heart? There is an answer to the story. I'll let you figure out what it is if you don't know it. Read the book of Song of Solomon and you'll you'll see how it ends. But there's something I want us to grab onto today from this this interesting little book. In chapter 2 of the the book of Song of Solomon, there's a phrase I want us to grab onto and understand and explore the principle for a few minutes this morning. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. That's just fascinating language. Catch the foxes. The the, the young maiden is talking to her love back home, and her plea is, Catch the foxes. In other words, catch the things that are threatening and ruining and uh, creating division within our love for one another. you've done any gardening you can appreciate the analogy that she is using I know we don't have a whole lot of that here you may argue with me I've not seen it in full extent but if you live in wooded areas those little critters will come along and if you don't put fences or special sprays around your garden uh, they will treat it like the golden corral they'll come down and they'll just eat everything that is in sight and here she says there's something precious something that in time will grow Something that we are looking forward to yielding from, but if we don't protect it, it is vulnerable to certain dangers. And she's not talking about crops, she's talking about love, and romance, and marriage. That's what I want us to explore today, a fascinating language of protecting and nurturing and defending our marriages. And it just so fits that this is a great time of year to do so. This is a special time of year, as we kind of started out by saying, and certainly it's worth noting in our prayers, thanksgiving to God for all of our blessings we have. For some, this time of year is full of celebration and joy and happy feelings as family comes in, but then at the same time, this time of year can be a really difficult time of year for a lot of us. In fact, I saw a statistic this week that says 88% of Americans reported feeling stressed during the holiday season. 88%, which means the majority of us at one point are going to feel the weight of stress during the next two months. But here's the one they got me. I understood that. If you've been to the, the, the stores trying to shop for someone this time of year, there's an immense amount of weight and stress. But here's the, the statistic that caught my eye. The average couple will have seven arguments during the holiday season. You you, you put that together. the, The amount of stress that comes from whatever reason this time of year. If it's family, if it's finances, if it's sickness, if it's just the tension coming because we're all together at one point. But the fact that marriages are feeling the strain and the pull of this time of year is a great reason for us to think about what is being taught here. Catch the foxes. Catch the foxes that are threatening to ruin our vineyard. As God's people, there's immense help that needs to be drawn from the Word of God to help us in our tense moments... To remind ourselves of the commitment we have made to God and to one another in our marriages. I think right out of, the, out of the gate, if you look at our verse, there's two things that this verse suggests to us about marriage and protecting marriage. The first of which is this. We must realize that there are threats to our marriages. If we just kind of dig our head in the sand and say that everyone is for us and no one is against us, we're, we're naive to the reality that any number of sources, people, situations timings can present itself as a threat to our marriage and the main orchestrator behind all of it is the evil one who wants to destroy god's good gift of healthy godly marriages there's a discussion in matthew 19 where the jews come to jesus the pharisees do and they're asking a question it's not honest they just want to trip him up but i want you to notice how satan is using the questions within this discussion for his advantage Some of the Pharisees, in Matthew 19, verse 3, some of the Pharisees came to him, it's Jesus, testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, there are no longer two but one flesh. Well therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You notice just even in the questioning, the working of Satan on the minds of the people because Satan assaults the permanency of marriage. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? If we just don't like each other, if we're angry, If we've grown tired, is is there there any reason we can't just exit at any point in our marriage? Does it really have to last for one's lifetime? I heard that William Bennett, who was high up in the United States educational system, once went to a wedding, and in the wedding, the vows were stated as this. We promise to remain married as long as our love shall last. The wedding gift he sent them was paper plates, When you hear that, as long as our love shall last, it explains how a lot of people see love. Now, love is something I feel. And if love is something that I feel, an emotion that comes across my heart, then it's easy to hear people say, Well, I fell in love or I fell out of love with that person, not realizing that love is declared with words, but it's demonstrated, it is a choice. The conscious choice of a person to love you and serve you and sacrifice for you until death do us part. It's not until love ends. It's until my life ends. There's no other option. But that's exactly what Satan wants us to see. That just as the world around us, for any reason at all, for any, for any cause at all, we can depart and exit, exit out of the marriage. Marriage isn't for a lifetime. And a love Jesus response have you not read, have you not heard what God has spoken on the matter from the very beginning? You also see in this context how Satan assaults the purity of marriage. How Jesus makes it clear that, that for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Even the thought of exiting marriage oftentimes has this in mind, that that intimate relationship I share with my maids I'm wanting to express and share with another. Those who are married are not roommates, they're not merely friends. There is something intimate in mind, and heart, and body, and in soul that is shared. And then we, when we begin to entertain sharing any of that with any other, we are insulting the purity and the design of God's marriage that he put from the very beginning. You also see how Satan assaults the purpose of marriage. Because at the very end, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what the Jewish rabbis teach, it doesn't matter what the Pharisees collectively decide. It doesn't matter what Caesar says. What God has said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God is the originator. God is the designer. God is the creator of marriage. And so at the end of the day, the purpose for marriage is not whatever I design it to be or want it to be or pursue it to be. Marriage is not about me getting everything I want out of this life, happiness or satisfaction or just the opposite of loneliness loneliness. Marriage is about honoring the God who created it, about joining together in a way that God purposed, in love, in harmony, in faith, selflessly devoting to one another. And even when things change, and some of you are there, you've been married for 20 or 30 or plus years, and when life change, and seasons change, and our bodies change, and and situations change, the one thing that never changes is the word of God. That all flesh is like grass, Peter said, and it's glory like the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever, and this is the word which is preached to you. That's the point. That things may change. Maybe my feelings will change. Maybe our relationship isn't as close as it used to be, but that doesn't mean that I get to change who it is God expects me to be as a husband or a wife, because His word never changes. That's maybe just a question to begin with. is do I even recognize the threats? that are opposed against my merits, that Satan will use as weapons to use to try and cause a wedge between my mate and myself. There's outside threats, which are abundant. If you have a little box there, I create a little list. Busyness, I'm just too busy. That's what we convince ourselves, we're too busy. And so when work slows down, when the kids grow up, when the kids get out of the house, when things calm down, when we fix the house, we always condition what we should be by when And then the sad thing is we live our lives apart, never allowing ourselves to enjoy the moment, to enjoy closeness today. Jobs can get in the way. Greed can get in the way. Worldliness, allowing the way of the thinking of the world to affect the way we see and treat one another. Lust and sexual temptation, if I allow anything Anything, any video, any image, any book, any blog, any Facebook searching of an old uh, high school fling, if I allow that to be the source of me finding satisfaction apart from my mate, I'm inviting adultery into my marriage. I'm inviting another person, another, another source of satisfaction into my marriage. And then even in proper relationships. And I think this is one area we have to be really careful with. We mentioned this in the Bible class not long ago, that we get in this mindset of saying things like, you know, it's okay because my best friends as a man, is just ladies. I just, I more enjoy talking with ladies. And so it's okay if I hang out with ladies and talk with ladies and hug on ladies. It, it's okay. My wife understands that. It's okay. My, my wife hangs out with guys. Her best friends are guys. She, she's more of a tomboy. And so she's going to hang out with men, and she, she can talk with them, and she can give them hugs. I, I understand that. No, that's just called improper. It's called immensely immature. When we are married, something has to change. There's a holy, righteous jealousy God has for his people, and it's coined with this idea of adultery. You're giving to others what only belongs to me. If I'm married, my best friend is only my mate, and I'm not spending any time alone with someone who is a woman, and it's vice versa with my wife with men. There's some things that are inappropriate. And there's also wrongful influences, allowing those who would offer, who would be flirtatious, who would offer that sympathetic and listening ear rather than my spouse, and I'm going to choose that outlet rather than choosing the one God gave to me. But there's also inside threats i mean think about just a lack of communication i'm just not talking i'm just not sharing i'm just not open like i used to be or indifference i just don't really care i don't care about where things are i don't care about where things are going there's bitterness i just i can't let go of things that happen i always bring it up the way things way things used to be and now the way things are because of what someone has done and a failure to forgive i'm just never getting over this i just keep bringing it up again and again and again there's anger and secrecy and selfishness, and all these things can distort and destroy a marriage from the inside out. In fact, I read earlier this week, I thought this was a good summary. It said couples that use a public situation to put each other down, a husband who uses his wife as the brunt of his jokes, couples who call each other ugly names, who purposefully stay away from each other, when couples place greater emphasis on getting ahead than qualities such as faith and family, When a husband seldom helps in the home, couples who can't discuss differences without a heated argument, when couples show very little attention to one another, the conclusion is this is the sign of a marriage heading towards a wreck. And the thing is, if you take this situation and you add in a person, someone who's willing to listen, someone who's willing to be compassionate, someone who is showing me attention, even innocently, if you add in a video of something that's going to offer me a, an outlet of pleasure. We find ourselves in a very dangerous place so very quickly. The other side of this, I think we're really good perhaps at the first one, of realizing the dangers. But the language of, of the woman in, in Song of Solomon 2 and verse 15 is not, do you see the foxes that are eating our fields? She says, catch them, catch the foxes. It's not just recognize that they're eating them. Let's do something about it. Let's catch those foxes. Let's keep them from causing the damage that they are bringing into into our love. There's a statement made in Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27, where Solomon says, Give careful thought to the pads of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. What's he saying? Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to where you're going. Watch where your life is heading. Pay attention to your choices. Pay attention to your habits. Pay attention to your finances. Pay attention to your faith. Watch where you are going, or else you're likely going to stray somewhere you don't belong. How true is that about life? How true is that about driving? How true is that about marriage? What's the difference between our two homes up on the screen? Which would you move into today? Honey, I got a quick weekend for us, got us an Airbnb, you're going to love it, (laughs) it's cheap. One is the product of neglect, the other the result of careful attention. We we get to choose the condition of our homes. We get to choose the condition of our marriages. And if we so choose to neglect the dangers that oftentimes come and threaten the relationship we have with our spouse, that, that will be what we reap. But if we choose to pay attention, to not sweep issues under the rug, to not neglect the hard conversations. But to pursue with honesty and with integrity and with trust and courage the things that challenge us, great things can come out of response. So that language of putting on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against, stand firm against the schemes of the devil, and that's true for me and my soul and my life. But if I also understand that Satan not only wants me, but he wants my family and he wants my children and so he wants to affect me as a father but he also wants my marriage and he wants to affect my relationship as a husband this all stands true put on the armor of god so that you may be able to defend against the weapon satan will use against you and against your marriage against you as a husband or you you as a wife so what do we do with this How do we catch the foxes? What are ways that we protect and defend against these threats that Satan will use even in times that may be tense like these? And I would say the first one is just don't check out, check in. When I am tempted to withdraw, when I'm tempted to believe the lie that nothing's gonna get better, it won't matter, he's not gonna listen, she's not gonna change, nothing's going to improve, it's all lost, then we're just giving over to Satan. We're letting Satan win the battle. But if we choose and resolve in our minds, I made a promise, and I made a promise to this person, and I made a promise to God. And so when things get hard, I don't just quit. We can get that with our kids. When things get really hard, when you have a three-year-old in the house, we don't say, I'm done. I'm done with this. You just, good luck. Make it on your own. We say, you know what, this is really hard, but I'm stepping back in. I'm going to catch my breath, and I'm stepping back in. We're going to do this. And yet for too many of us when it comes to marriage we say, I, I tried, we tried, for years we tried, we talked, we prayed, we went to people but nothing's getting better. I don't know about you but this is not a battle I'm, I'm, worth, I'm, I'm willing to lose, I'm willing to ever stop. Which means even when it's hard and when I'm tempted to check out, that's when you run harder. That, that's when you try harder. That's when you pray harder. That's when you reach out more fervently. Even if it's not reciprocated, the language of 1 Peter 3 reminds us that we, we are who we are as the people of God simply because that's who we are, the people of God. And so 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. What's he saying? Even if, even if they are not loving and serving and compassionate as they should be, That's not an excuse for you just to withdraw and say, well, fine, you're not going to be sweet to me. I'm not going to be kind to you. No, the response is you continue to be who it is that God has called you to be, loving and kind and submissive and compassionate, knowing that that kind of behavior may even motivate your spouse to change. Did you notice when he came to husbands, the very first word he used is just as your wives are commanded and are following the pattern of Christ, of serving even without uh, reciprocity. I want you to do the same. I want you to live with your wives in an understanding way. I want you to show them honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What she's saying, maybe she's not. Maybe she's not treating you the way that she should. Maybe she's not showing you the love and compassion and, and the things that she should be giving to you, but that does not excuse us men, does not excuse us women from the roles that God has given to us. So, don't stop talking. Don't stop listening. Don't stop trying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop fighting. As soon as we give up, we hand the battle over to Satan. Satan. It may be hard. It may take a long time. But if God can create man from the dust, if God promises to resurrect our bodies from the grave when Jesus returns again, then even God has the power to resurrect a dead marriage. We need to believe that. Secondly, I would say, be the change you want to see in your spouse. That as I want them to to change and to grow and to Maybe take on some more maturity in our relationship. I need to be the change I'm wanting to see in them. There's a statement that's made in James chapter 3 and verse 18 where James says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's he saying? Those who want peace make peace. Those who desire peace are those who are sowing the seeds of peace and their relationships. It's essentially what Paul would say in Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It's interesting. Think about that. Think about Galatians 6 and verse 7 in the context of a marriage. Have you ever thought about that? That principle of reaping and sowing in our marriage relationships. For instance, if I sow harsh words, I'm going to be reaping an argument. If I wield my words like weapons and I come with a heavy tone and accusations, I can pretty well tell you how they're going to respond. If I, as Paul described that noble love in 1 Corinthians 13, if I am rude to my mate, if I sow rudeness, then I am going to reap the brick wall, nothing in response. Or I might reap rudeness in response. You're rude to me, you're rude, I'm going to sling it back. If I sow, insisting my own way, a very selfish way of living, it's all about me, why don't you listen to me? You're not doing what I want. I'm going to reap a spouse who doesn't care for me. Who may be repulsed by me, or I may sow a spouse who is just like me, another selfish and more focused on themselves. If I sow resentfulness, the subversion will say does not take into account a wrong suffered. Keeping score. If I sow keeping score, then I'm going to have a mate that will watch and remember everything I do meticulously. Do you know the language of keeping score? Always and never. You always, you always say that, you always do. You always do that. You never take me out, you never listen. And if that's what I want, if that's what I sow, then inevitably that's what it is I'm going to reap. Can we see? Maybe some of the issues I'm having in my marriage It's not my spouse. I'm just reaping the fruit of the seeds that I've been sowing for years. I've been sowing some really ugly seeds, expecting beautiful fruit. And when they start manifesting, I'm surprised that all of a sudden my mate does not treat me in a way that I've been wanting all these years. But what if the opposite? I really want my mate to listen to me, and so I'm going to listen intently and give them the open mic and the floor, even if I don't get a word in. I really want attention and affection, and so I'm going to pour forth attention and affection to my spouse. I really want respect, and so I'm going to, in everything I can this week, in my words and my actions, just show how much I respect and care for them. I don't want to always be reminded of my faults and my failures because they are abundant. I, I want my spouse to the best of their ability, even though it's undeserved, I, I just I would want them to be gracious and forgiving and to give me a 77th chance. But that means that I'm going to be doing the same. I read a book years ago that I thought described this very well. In our minds, we might think of this, of this kind of model, this model of reciprocity like this. That when a husband doesn't have love, or if he doesn't have respect from his wife, then he's not going to love her. And then if she's not getting love from her husband, then she's not going to respect him. And then when he doesn't have respect, then you kind of get in this very selfish whirlwind tornado that just ends in a lot of bad behavior and bad choices. You would imagine the way this ought to look is kind of like this, that he loves her, and that motivates her respect for him. And then her respect for her husband motivates him to love her. But the problem with this is that the one moment he slips up and doesn't love her, you just kind of go back to this model. Where then, because you didn't love me, I don't respect you. Because you don't respect me, I'm not going to love you. And then it just kind of goes around and around and around again. Which is why when God talked about love, he didn't talk about us earning his love that if you just worship me perfectly, if you just offer me so much obedience and so much knowledge and so much service, I will extend to you in response my love and my favor. But instead, we have a passage like Romans 5 and verse 8. That God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so even so, even if my mate is not not respectful of me, I'm going to love her. I'm going to love her with all that I have because that's what God wants for me. And even if he doesn't love me and hasn't shown me love or care or attention in a long time, I'm going to respect him because I know that's what Christ would want for me. And I'm going to let his model and his service be my driving force in my marriage. I would end with this. The last thing we can do is to make God the center of our life. There's a statement made in Psalm 128, verses 1 through 3, which says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Think of that, sowing and reaping. What if the seeds we sowed were those of honoring and following God and his laws? in this home we're going to honor god and in my marriage god's word and god's pattern is my guide imagine the fruit that we would yield and everything we're honoring god and everything we go back to the word of god we talk about god in our home we pray to god as a couple i pray for my spouse and i pray for them often i pray for them daily i pray for their soul and i pray for who they are this matters to god and in one sense, when we think about bringing God into our marriage and God into our homes, there's really two motivations that ought to be key. And this could help in either way for us during the season. I'll leave you with two. Two motivations, and it could be that we need one or the other or maybe even both. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me ask you, what's excluded from what is done in the, in the body? Like my leisure, my vacation is off the table, that doesn't count. My time off the clock at work. Does this include me being a husband or a wife? Have we thought that far? So often we look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 and I'm looking through this self-driven model, I'm looking at everything I've done in my life, and my behavior, have we thought good brethren, that in the midst of that discussion before the throne of God, what will be under consideration is how were you as a husband? How did you treat that woman I gave you? How were you towards your husband? How did you live with the man that I blessed you with? I'm going to have to answer to God for that. I'm going to have to answer to God for for the answered prayer that I prayed, for he to bring someone into my life, someone I I far could not deserve. Maybe I need that motivation. This matters. This matters greatly to God. I think the other motivation that can also help, maybe just another way of looking at it, there's a statement made in Malachi chapter 2 where he is indicting Israel, his people, and he says in Malachi 2, beginning in verse 10, have we, have we not all one father? Has not God, uh, one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, notice, which he loves. What do you see? saying, God loves marriage. God loves marriage. That's why he made it. He made it a good thing, and it is a great thing. The things that God hates, his people hate. The things that God loves, his people love. So here's a question for you to think about How do I show God through my marriage that I love marriage? That I love this? In the way that I speak with my mate, in my prayers, in my attitude at home, am I treating this like a burden that God has plagued me with or am I doing all that I can to treasure and cherish and pour everything I have into this person that God has so richly blessed me with? And to do all that I can to help this, peop- this person be more like Jesus and to make it home. Chase the foxes. Because there's something God has given us that's worth protecting. And I think we'll do so well this season. Thank you so much for listening so well. We're gonna have a prayer and a verse of a song and be dismissed to our classes. If you need help finding those classes, we have some in the back who would love to be able to assist you and help you in that need. Let's stand for the prayer and then we'll have our song. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questionsatthebibleway.com Questions@thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.